This episode is brought to you by Aethera Clothing. Aethera Clothing is a Sri Lankan-run custom clothing business creating amazing hand-painted pieces from shoes to jeans to jackets. To see his work or make a custom order, check out Aethera on Instagram at Aethera Clothing. That's E-D-U-R-A. Or go to www.aetheraclothing.com. And when you talk to him, tell him that your friends at Brown Men Won't Jump sent you. This episode was previously recorded on Friday, April 15th, before the play-in games or the first weekend of the first round of the NBA playoffs. However, since it still contains some pretty handy information related to betting on the NBA playoffs, we thought it would still be useful to release, despite being a couple days late. We hope you enjoy, and good luck betting, guys. This is E-Boogie, the artist formerly known as Eric. You're now listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. What is up, guys? We have playoff fever right now as we are entering the first playoff weekend of the NBA season. I'm your New York Knicks-based host, AC, and with me, I got another Knicks fan, your degenerate gambler extraordinaire, Rahul. What's up, bro? Wow. What an intro. <laughs> Hype for, for playoff basketball. Let's go. This is the best time Let's to Let's go. Yeah. It's the best time to bet. Our team has sadly been out of it for a while, though. It's decided good. to I end the season. I won't lose money on them this year. This is great. Yeah, but what I have lost is brain cells watching these guys intentionally win games down the stretch when every incentive was for them to lose. So, I don't know, man. Yeah, team without a plan. So, it's been the same thing for the last 20 years. Ain't that the truth. So... When we're talking about betting on this playoffs, there's so many ways to go with it. So we can talk about, you know, the the remaining play-in games tonight. We can talk about the first round and all the matchups, but also just overall looking ahead to conference finals contenders and some weird prop bets as well. Let's talk about what the matchups look like going forward in that first round. So we don't know who the winner of the Pelicans Clippers will be, but we know their opponents are the Phoenix Suns. And the Phoenix Suns, to me, from the start of this season all the way through the end, we're clearly the best team in the league. I don't know if their ceiling is necessarily the highest, but their floor is awfully high. They play consistent professional basketball. They have you know two dynamic ISO players and also guys who can play in the pick and roll, both Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Aiden has proven that he can play any role you want him to really in playoff basketball, but as a, as a role man, uh, he's one of the best in the NBA. Mikhail Bridges... Cam Johnson, I feel like he never misses a clutch shot. It's He's another guy who's got real upside. They're loaded. They're deep. They're experienced. They're really well coached. I mean, does, does anybody have a chance against him here in this first round? Short answer is no. <laughs> but, but but let's talk about it a little bit. I think, honestly, if they played the Pelicans, I would, I would struggle to see the Pelicans taking even a game from them. I'm thinking 4-0, 4-1. But the Clippers, if you remember their Western Conference Finals a little bit, they definitely, their style of play, their three-point shooting, and their versatility definitely gave the Suns a little bit more of a challenge. I do think that DeAndre Ayton, over the course of the last year's playoffs and this year, has become more than what he was last year at that time. Yeah, your point about Ayton getting better, 
I thought that Aiden really ultimately, even last year, was the difference. Like, if you compare it to the Clippers series against the Jazz, right? Like, the ability of Aiden to punish a switch just a little bit made the Clippers' very switching defense pay over and over again. And Aiden has taken a step up in, in those areas. And I also think Devin Booker has taken a massive step up because he's not just a guy who can score. He can always score. This man dropped, you know, 70 points in a game several years ago before the Phoenix was even a relevant team. But it's just the way that he's going. He's such a technician now. Like his his mid-range game is so pure. He's got amazing footwork. Uh, he's become a competent defensive player as well. And his passing has improved. So, you know, it used to be like you could send a off a pick and roll, you you would you would sort of double him, force the ball out of his hands. He makes that read early now. And this is a team that runs beautiful motion offense as well at times. And they can also kill you in the pick and roll. I mean, Chris Paul is one of the all-time maestros in that. So they're just very experienced. Uh, when it comes to running their sets, they have chemistry together. I, I just feel like this is a, a real uphill battle for whoever faced these guys. For sure. I, and honestly, it's supposed to be that way. It's a one versus eight. Even though these guys are playing in, they're going to be running into the best team in each conference. And the Suns are probably the best team in basketball. So I think we've spent enough time on this. I think the Suns are pretty anally, I think, going to win that first round. So then what about the the 2-7? So we talked briefly about the Minnesota Timberwolves. A team that has waited a long time to to make you know a playoff run. They had that one year with Jimmy Butler on board, but really aside from that, this team, even going back to the days of KG, really just hasn't had much playoff success or even playoff appearances. So it's it's nice to see them in the mix. They're a young team since the start of January. They are the number one offense in the NBA, and a lot of that starts with Carl Towns' dominance. Now he was terrible in the play-in game, and you know our <laughs> My podcast co-hosts, who are, 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 are cat haters, they call him P-Cat and all kinds of stuff like that, uh, they were having a field day. But I, being, you know, I'm from the area where this guy grew up, I have a, a soft spot for Cat. I thought that he's had a really good season, and to me, he just looked flustered in that game. It looked like they were throwing all kinds of looks at him. He was, he was kind of playing a bit too fast. But, but this team has had the season they've had in large part due to him and his versatility and his... One of the things that's evolved with him is that now he can punish switches a little bit better in the post as well. He's not just limited to shooting as much. Uh, I, what I worry about with him, and, and he's kind of a bellwether for their team, is defensively, when you play against... W- w- defensively, when the Wolves play, they are one of the most aggressive teams in the entire NBA at trapping or hard hedging, and that's in large part because Cat sucks at drop coverage. He needs sort of that cover of getting the ball in someone's hand, and then it leverages the athleticism they have around him. Can the Wolves survive doing that against a Memphis team that has weapons everywhere and plenty of shooting and and passes really well on top of that? Yeah, that's tough to kind of break down because the Grizzlies can score from all three levels of the court. Um, they've They've got people that can break down the defense. Jock can get to the basket. He can score for himself or create for others. Bain is great at kind of like finishing the setups. He's got a good mid-range game. He can shoot the three. Then you got Jaron Jackson who can space the floor right from a big man perspective. And you got Steven Adams that can kind of bruise you inside. So they got they got scoring from all three levels. So that's definitely going to present a challenge to um, the way that the Wolves cover in, in the NBA. I, I, you know, they're not a good defensive team, as you already illustrated. And I think the Grizzlies are going to give them fits. I think the same probably can be said, though, the other way around. I think the Wolves can score from all three levels, too. They have 
shooting outside. They have creators. They have uh, Russell that can pop from the mid-range, get to the basket, a little floater game, little threes. If he's on, he's a, he's a nightmare to guard. Ant-Man, we've already kind of touched on. He's, you know, he's a rocket, so he's going to be coming at you from all angles. And then Cat, I think, has the versatility on offense to score on both Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson. They can give him two different looks, that's sure. Jaron Jackson's a little bit small, a little bit more spry. Can probably guard Cat out a little bit for, further for the perimeter stuff. But I think Cat can probably take him on the inside. And then the opposite can be said about the Adams matchup, where maybe Cat would try to extend him out towards the three-point line as opposed to try to bruise him inside. So I think both of these teams are going to have ample opportunities to score. And I think what's going to come, come down to is, A, how streaky Russ is in this game. D'Angelo Russell and how uh, how much help they can give Cat and the rest of the Wolves on defense. So I think it'll be an interesting matchup at the very least. What's the line for this series, Raul? So we got we got uh, the Grizzlies at minus three thirty and the Wolves at plus two sixty. So about a three to one favorite for the Grizzlies. And for those who are listening who might not be familiar with betting lines, can you just explain really quickly what that means? So yeah, so that pretty much means that the Grizzlies are a 3 to 1 favorite. So minus 330 would mean that you would have to bet $330 to win $100. So you'd bet the 330 and get back 430 if you bet on the Grizzlies. And conversely on the T-Wells, they're plus 260. So you'd bet 100 and you'd win 260, so you'd get back the 360. It just allows you to kind of even out the chances and the probability cuz if if push came to shove and we were allowed to bet on either one of these teams at even money, a lot of us obviously would take the Grizzlies. So this just makes it more fair in terms of the odds. Yeah, good explanation, Raul. I think looking at this series, the Grizzlies have just been the better team all year. But I kind of agree with you that it's not like such an obvious favorite. They're not exactly the most experienced team either, right? Uh, and the Wolves do present some real matchup problems. I, I think Ant-Man is for real. I, I think Cat. You know, you, you hit on the fact that there's really no one person who can guard him. I actually think there's no one in the league who can really guard Cat. The question will be, the challenge will be, I'm pretty sure that the Grizzlies will have watched tape from that play-in game and seen some of the stuff that the Clippers did to, to fluster him. So can Cat be patient and read the defense and, and sort of, you know, not be so rushed? And can he survive defensively? Because they will target him. The Clippers ran at him all day. And I don't know, you can only, you know, trap butts so much in a given series. You know, when they do the thing where they have the cutters coming from behind and they make the, the skip pass over and there's open threes, you sometimes have to adjust that. You have to switch, you have to drop. And in those situations, can Cat survive? That's, I think, what this is going to come down to. If he can, then this will be a really interesting series. Yeah, and, and you got to remember, like, I, I know this is a two versus seven, but Minnesota had 46 wins and they started out the year 11-15. So this is a team that's definitely caught their groove. They played a lot better than even what their record says. And their record's pretty good. You know, they could be a 51 team pretty easily here. The Grizzlies, I think their biggest advantage is a regular season advantage. And I, I don't want to get chastised by Grizzlies Twitter. But to be honest, like having a deep team and interchangeable parts is a huge advantage for a regular season. Especially, you know, while we're still on the tail end of weird COVID rules. Um, I think that... When rotations shrink and top-end talent matters more in the playoffs, a lot of times these deeper teams may not show out as well as they did in the regular season. 
you know, an obvious example being kind of how the Knicks played really tough last year and had a lot of interchangeable parts. And when it came to the playoffs, you know, the top end talent to kind of push through that brink. That being said, this team does have John Morant. So, so they definitely got at least someone that can kind of get there and create a shot and, and take over a game. But I just wanted to illustrate that I don't think these teams are, are that, that far apart. And I would not be as surprised to see the series go seven, seven games. No, I, I completely agree with that. That's a really good point. The Grizzlies may be the deepest team in the NBA. They really have a 1 through 15, or not just 12, like 15 capable NBA players you could plug into basically any rotation in the NBA. But if you look at their top-level talent, I think we all agree that Jaws all-world. He'll make one of the all-NBA teams for sure. But you could argue that Minnesota has more top-level talent. At least they have you know, at least two guys who we, we think maybe on that that caliber or not quite maybe jaws caliber but cat and anthony edwards are legitimate star players and and d'angelo on a given night can co- completely look like one too now it's kind of hit or miss with him but i think he's matured a little bit this season you see it from better decision making you see it from better shot selection so there is a world in which the the top level talent of minnesota just overwhelms the grizzlies so then if you were picking this gun to your head Got to pick either way. Pick the series and then give me who your bet would be. Let's say let's put it like that. Yeah, I, I, I guess this is a series that I might take a flyer on the Wolves plus 260. I think what I'd probably do, though, to be quite honest, is I think you're going to have wild swings of games. I, I could see Grizzlies winning one game by, like, 30, and then the Wolves coming back and winning the next game on the road. Like, I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be one of those kind of all-time unpredictable kind of series is. So right. I think game one, I'm going to wind up on the Grizzlies side of things. I think they're going to come out hungry, and I think the Wolves can get a little bit flustered. I think they really benefited from playing at home last game. So I think game one, I'm going to bet on the Grizzlies minus whatever the line is uh, whenever they release it. And then at that point, then I think I'll, I would buy back on the Wolves and just kind of take them game to game with the plus points. Yeah, if I had to predict, I would say probably Grizzlies in six or thereabouts, maybe like seven. But I think if I had to put money on a series, I'd just bet on the Wolves because there's just you know a little bit more value there. Like like the the series is closer maybe than even the line suggests. Yeah, I think I think totally conceivable that the Wolves could win. I think taking Wolves plus points in most of these games is going to be the right move. So, what about the three versus six matchup? You know, we're talking the Golden State Warriors with Steph. Clay and Draymond all on the same court for, you know, in a playoff series for the first time since I believe 2019. It's been a while now since we've seen this trio together versus a Nuggets team that's frankly just Nikola Jokic and a bunch of jokers. So, I mean, it seems on paper that the Warriors should be heavily favored here. But, you know, Jokic has proven to be a deadly playoff player. So how do you handicap this series? Oh, man, it's it's so tough. We don't know what the Warriors look like. They like just when uh, Clay came back, Draymond, Draymond Green got hurt, and then Draymond came back, and then Steph got hurt. So we've really not seen the three of these guys play together in what two and a half years. Is that fair yeah. to say? Um, that being said, it it looks like all signs are pointing to Steph playing in Game One. Remember, he's been out for a while, so. We don't know what kind of stuff we'll be getting. And Jordan Poole has been 
pretty spectacular in his absence. I'm not sure how they're going to kind of fit in all these pieces together. And it was kind of one of the main concerns we had when we did the midseason betting pod. Meanwhile, yeah. the Nuggets, while they don't have the top-end talent the Warriors do, everyone knows where what, what they're doing. Everyone has a role. The whole thing goes through the Joker. Everyone else get open. And so they're going to be playing the way they've always played all year. Meanwhile, the Warriors are going to have to do some adjustments on the fly. I think overall the talent disparity is too big, and I think the Warriors will eventually win this series, maybe in six games. But I think it'll be a fun series. You made some really interesting points there, Rahul. You know, Jordan Poole this season has to be one of the leading candidates for most improved player. He, at times, looks like he could be an all-star caliber player. This guy, I, I believe he is the highest free throw percentage in the NBA, even slightly ahead of Steph Curry. And he's also a very capable three-point shooter. He can get red hot. And I actually wonder, when they're all healthy, if he shouldn't get a little bit more of Klay Thompson's minutes. Klay Thompson, to me, apart from a few games here or there, where you know, he's had these big scoring runs, uh, like kind of like the Klay Thompson of old, but mostly he's kind of like old Klay Thompson to me. He looks like a guy that's not quite the same player on the defensive end and not quite as dynamic on the offensive end. And I wonder if this is a weird situation where Steve Kerr is going to make some hard choices to a guy that's been one of his guys for a very long time because, frankly, Jordan Poole has probably outplayed him this season. I don't think probably. He's definitely outplayed him. And I don't know how much room there is for both of them and Steph to sh- like sort of share the court together on like a three-headed dragon type situation. So uh, it might be a, a difficult choice that needs to be made. Yeah, I'm just looking at this and I see that he's going to be a restricted free agent 2023. Let's open up that cap space, baby. Let's get <laughs> like a space of floor, yeah. Right. You know about the Knicks? Is that what you're talking about? Us? Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Um, he's too young for us to acquire. We only go for faded old veterans. So. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Why, why ever get a high upside play? Yeah. I think, I think like you said, it's going to be a challenge for the Warriors to get everything kind of moving in and out seamlessly. Like they are so accustomed to, I think this is going to be a good series for them to kind of get their bearings though. And while it's going to be a little bit of a battle battle with Jokic, I think the Warriors ultimately will make it through and I think they'll be better for it. Just quickly on on your points about the Nuggets, I agree that they really do know their roles, and that's something that could matter. The other thing they have going for them is that winning in Denver is just really difficult. It's difficult because they have a great home crowd, but the altitude's always a factor as well, especially early on in series. So I always feel like whenever Denver's involved, I kind of just give them the three home games because it's just not easy to win there. So that they're they're kind of always in the mix of a series. But I just wonder, you know, how no matter how great Nikola Jokic is, how far can you get when you you know your second best player is Aaron Gordon, and then who's your third best player? Is it Will Barton? Is it Facundo Campazzo? Like like who is their you their third guy that causing you could even? Yeah, it's a Campazzo. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I, it's just hard for me to imagine a team like that getting out of the first round. So anyway, Raul, how do you pick this series? Who's gonna win? So and think, who would you bet on, if anyone? I think I think I would take the Warriors here at this minus two fifty number. I think that's a pretty low number for someone that might struggle initially, but as time progresses and they get more time together with Curry on the floor, I think they can probably win this series in six games. It'll be a little bit of a battle, but they'll come out better for it and better prepared for round two. Yeah, I see this as 
an easy bet on the Warriors. I, I just it's hard for me to really even conceive of a way the Nuggets win this, short of like Steph Curry actually getting re-injured or, or being some sort of shell of himself. Well, let's be fair. So like, put, they, they have no answer for Jokic. The Jokic is going to put up like 30, 15, and 15. Like, I don't really see anybody on the Warriors really providing Jokic any kind of resistance. I, I completely agree with that. But they'll still need to come with another, you know, 80 or so points to, to beat the Warriors. <laughs> and that's where I'm I'm concerned, you know? So yeah. I would say Warriors in six, giving two games out of respect to Jokic and, and their home court. And I would put money on the Warriors too. I like that. So that brings us to the last series and probably the most interesting one as I think most four versus five matchups end up being. And that's the perennially choking Utah Jazz versus the Luka Doncic-led Mavs, which of course is the first thing we need to talk about is Luka Doncic himself, who in the last game of the regular season picked up a calf strain. And it's questionable right now whether this guy is going to be playing early in this series or not. What have you heard, Rahul? Well, I, you know, just looking at the lines and, you know, some of the updates I'm seeing from like Shams and even on Roto World, it looks like he's going to be out for game one. I think that's fairly reasonable certainty. And I think he's questionable for game two. And then we'll see about the rest of the season. I mean, the series, sorry. Huh. Well, that certainly <laughs> changes the way I look at this series. So the odds for this series are that the Jazz are minus 300 favorites, which to me seemed a bit strong. But now given this news about Luka Doncic, let's say he misses the first two games, it's, it's hard for me to imagine this Mavs team winning a single game without him. So basically, they're going to most likely lose their two games at home. And now they have to go into Utah, even with Luka Doncic, down 0-2, you know, given that it'll be very difficult for them to win a single game without Luka Doncic. Do they have any yeah. chance then? What do you yeah, think? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's going to really come down to whether this is a blessing or not that Luka's going to miss a home game. So, on one hand, you know, having the home team, home crowd behind you, people really step up for that one game without their superstar. If they can steal one of these games, then I think they're fine. They're right on track where they need to be. But if, God forbid, they lose these first two games, then they're going to be really, really behind the eight ball. Because, you know, Utah, even even with Doncic back, is going to be a difficult place to play at. And I think Utah is tough to beat at home. Utah has one of the best home court advantages in the NBA. They've had it for years. They have an incredible crowd. This is where our co-host, Oswee, would make some joke about there's nothing to do in utah besides watch basketball but you know what well, it's, it's because of all the energy they get from their extra wives we we know that <laughs> there you go there you go <laughs> we're all stepping in uh for all sweet's absence no <laughs> i i completely agree they are it's a difficult place to play at and they're a good team right they're a very 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 good offensive team particularly the utah jazz in fact they have the best overall offensive rating of any team in the NBA if you go over the course of the entire season. And they have it by, you know, a decent margin, you know, almost entire point over the Atlanta Hawks. But where they've fallen off a bit, you know, from previous years is they're only the 10th rated defense. And to me, they're actually a much worse defensive team than that. Because, you know, in the regular season, Rudy Gobert can cover up for all the other flaws their team has defensively. But in the playoffs... We've seen it year after year. Teams will find ways to get him out of the paint, whether that's you know going five out and, and putting a shooting big out there at center or finding other ways to drag him away from 
the pain so they attack a different way. And they really don't have a single other really competent defender. Maybe Royce O'Neal can fill that role. He, you know, he's solid. I don't call him lockdown, but he's solid. And everyone else there on that roster, though, on the perimeter, is pretty weak defensively. And their guards are on the smaller side as well. So it makes it very challenging for them to stop someone like Luka Doncic, who, if he's healthy, we've seen this man like make guys like Paul George, Patrick Beverly, Kawhi Leonard. like He embarrassed them in playoff series in the past. So he can't be guarded by anyone on this team. The only problem is if his calf is going to allow him to do what he needs to be doing in an NBA game to to kind of take over. So, you know, this is a difficult difficult series to handicap, especially having such a little information on this Luka injury. Like I said before, the lines seem to indicate that he's definitely out for game one. We'll see what game two and beyond look like. Calf injuries tend to linger. I mean, you need a lot of force to kind of push off and, and kind of get get by people. If he's going to be relegated to just being, you know, minimally moving, just kind of outside shooting Luka Doncic as opposed to a guy that can get to the basket, draw fouls, push off, and kind of do all the rest of his stuff, his his efficiency is going to be compromised. And I think, unfortunately, so would the Mavs' chances of winning the series at that point. Yeah, and there's also the whole other factor of we've seen – Calf injuries precede Achilles injuries more on more than one occasion in recent NBA history. So, yeah. you know, if it is bothering him, it's not the kind of thing that they should just, you know, push through. This guy's their franchise future. Yeah. He's yeah. the the guy that, you know, will hopefully lead them back to the promised land one day. I, I'm a huge Luka Doncic fan. I believe in his talent. But, you know, here's a, a situation where they also don't have the cover if he's not 100%, right? Because they got rid of Porzingis, who, which I think ultimately ended up being a good move for them. But, they don't really have a true number two. I mean, their number two option in many ways is probably Jalen Brunson, uh, which is hardly a NBA caliber, you know, playoff yeah, caliber so, number two option. Put some respect on Dinwiddie's name, man. He's about to drop 30 a game this series, yeah. <laughs> well, I think the Jazz will live with Dinwiddie taking yeah, a lot of shots so, to get 30 a game. So, <laughs> yeah, so overall, then, if you were betting on this series, what would you, where would you go? I think I think the, the Jazz lucked out. They might... Be able to stave off a Mitchell trade request for one more year, and I think they get past this first round. <laughs> one more year before he comes a Nick, right? That's yeah. that's the guy that all the reports no, say we're targeting. No, he seems interesting, dude. I would go absolutely bananas if we had Spider. <laughs> well, I'll believe what I see it, but you know, we are so we we Knicks guys have have reason to root against the Jazz here. I I think that you know this is a series where if you're gonna bet on it, bet on the Jazz, but I, I would just stay away from this uh, from a betting perspective. There's just too much uncertainty. For all we know, you know, Doncic, he hasn't officially been ruled out for game one uh, as of the time of us recording this on Friday morning. So who knows what will happen. But whenever you have that kind of uncertainty with a guy that's that important to one of the two teams, it's often just best to stay away. Yeah, I, I think, I think we'll, we'll just, for the sake of the pod, just assume Jazz might be moving forward and and we can kind of keep going. So then what about the Eastern Conference? So we talked a little bit about the Cavs versus Hawks and who we think might win. Now, we both thought the Hawks will probably end up squeaking out. Maybe not even squeaking out. They might even end up blowing out the Cavs. But that lands then whoever wins that, that little play-in game against the number one seed Miami Heat, who have like quietly been really dominant this season, even without having their entire team healthy for even more than a a week or two in a row. It's been one guy after another that's been down. They've kind of just proceeded on like 
a juggernaut and you know they haven't been stopped at all so how do you see this series playing out regardless of who the opponent is i think the opponent doesn't matter i don't think the Cavs can win a, win a game against the, the heat but i do think the hawks are a very similar team i think you know that they got a lot of interchangeable wings they don't have a lot of like top 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 tier and talent but they got a lot of like b plus or better kind of players and i think that they can go toe-to-toe with Miami's firepower in a given night, especially if, you know, say they're at home. I think the John Collins injury is going to be big. Uh, He's kind of ruled out of the game tonight, but he may be available in time for a first-round series. And I think the Heat Hawks will be very entertaining. I think I've learned from last year not not to underestimate what the what the Hawks can do in the playoffs when the stakes are raised. So the John Collins component is really important because in his absence, I think one of the things that Trae Young is really good at doing is when he gets in that paint and if he feels the defense kind of collapsing toward him, he's excellent at throwing those lobs, which John Collins took full advantage of. And Collins proved himself even as a, a decently capable switch defender. He can he can score in a mismatch as well. They need sort of the pressure release that he provides because if they're facing Miami, Miami has no shortage of players to throw at uh, Trey Young. And Trey Young can't really switch hunt against them either easily because they can put out lineups that's they're one through five switchable. Even guys like PJ Tucker out there, like Bam has pretty good feet for a five. There's really no easy matchup. And that's why I think that the Heat should be favored, I think, pretty heavily in any kind of matchup against the Hawks because, you know, so much of the what the Hawks do depend on Trey Young, but they have a lot of guys to throw at him. That being said, we talk about the Heat often. You know, you even frame them as kind of also a, a high-powered team. But it's weird. They have a lot of shooters, but they also run a lot of lineups out there that have not that much shooting at once. They'll run Bam and Jimmy and sometimes another shaky shooter like a P.J. Tucker who's kind of streaky as well. So they are prone to offensive droughts as well. At the same time, they have guys like, you know, Duncan Robinson, like Tyler Hero, who, who they can bring in and, you know, maybe sacrifice a little bit of that defense. and become much more explosive offensively. So they're a team where it's kind of hard to 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 know exactly what they're going to get you an offensive end on a given night. But defensively, they're so stout, especially now with Lowry on board as well. So they have this point of attack bulldog. They have switchable defenders everywhere. And you know that they have one of the best coaches in the NBA, if not the best coach, at least in my opinion. I think he's the best coach. So I, yeah, I trust big them. Big advantage, big advantage on the coaching front for sure. So definitely agree. I think they're going to wind up being heavy favorites. I just, I like, I do like the way the Hawks kind of can turn it up in the playoff. They have a very playoff centered kind of team. I feel like they have a lot of switchability. They have shot creation when you need it. They have the ability to draw fouls, and they're pretty versatile with switching. If John Collins is back. That being said, I agree with you. I think the Heat probably win this in five or six games. If for whatever reason the Heat don't win this and they end up losing the first round, I think we'll have a very interesting offseason here coming up for the Miami Heat. They, even even almost anything besides them having a deep run could be pretty interesting because I'm really curious what they end up doing with Jimmy Butler. It seems like that whole situation that happened with Spolstra and Jimmy Butler, it seems like there's more behind the scenes going on there as well. And, and, and they have some decisions to make with that team going forward. So... I don't expect them to lose here, but if they did, I think it'll be one of the most interesting teams to watch in the offseason. Yeah, they're, they and, and the Hawks as well. I think they're both very, very yeah. likely for the, the three to three for one kind of 
put three quarters together to kind of get a dollar kind of situation. The uh, other team that's like that that we discussed briefly before was the Grizzlies because yeah, we talked about them having fifteen, they have fifteen players deep, which no team needs, and they could probably use some more top end talent. So I could see them consolidating pieces to get some. They also have a lot of draft assets too. So uh, that team is a team that's well set to do some stuff in the off season. But that's for the off season. Let's continue our talk about the upcoming playoffs in what's probably one of the most fascinating series on either side of the bracket, and that's the Boston Celtics against the Brooklyn Nets. You're completely right. I mean, just look at the odds. This is the tightest odds in the entire first round. We have Celtics minus 130, Nets plus 110. So so damn near even odds to kind of advance. And that's crazy given, you know, the the second half that the, the Celtics have had and the lack of continuity the Nets have had. There's a lot of lot of respect being shown to the Nets for the potential team that they are as opposed to the team that they have shown that they have been. So let's talk about that briefly, right? The Celtics have been absolutely dominant really since the December period where they kind of turned the whole season around. Even if you take just the last 15 games, this team is number one in offense, defense, and net rating. So like even without Robert Williams, who, by the way, there are some rumors he may come back this series, but even without Robert Williams, this is a, a Celtic squad that has been absolutely dominant. And it's difficult to score against them. They're, I think they're perfectly suited for playoff basketball because they're very switchable. Jason Tate has been a, a huge leap as a player. He can now go toe-to-toe against really any star. And he's improved a lot, specifically as a passer. So, you know, it used to be that you could kind of get the ball out of his hands a little bit and he'll make mistakes. Now he's you know, ahead of the defense. I see a guy that's confident surrounded by a team that knows what their identity is. They have bulldog defenders everywhere. I think the Celtics would be a really tough out. But yet, Rahul, we got the Nets who no one should sleep on either. Yeah, how how can you count out KD? How can yeah. you count out Kyrie? Despite Ramadan going 11 of 11 in his first 11 <laughs> shots. Ramadan. This guy is crazy. <laughs> I mean, honestly, is there a prettier uh, handle slash shot creator in basketball than Kyrie Irving? I don't think so. He's he's the best handles in NBA history. Uh, you give me any guy you want. Take, give me Allen Iverson. Give me Rod Strickland. You give me Tim Hardaway. You give me Steph. None of them have, can do what Kyrie. Kyrie's playing street ball out there, man. He's like hot sauce. Like you know, he's fucking wrecking people in the NBA. If you if you made like a a created player in two K, I think half of us would make Kevin Durant, and half of us would make Kyrie Irving. That's a really, really cool point. I love Just that point. Real. I think you're right. Just being real. I would make the super scorer or like the super stylish guys. Yeah, yeah super yeah. stylish handles and the jump shot. And then the other guy just like pogo stick, jump shot, defender, everything else. So so I think, I think you know, a lot of us get lost in, the, in that kind of narrative when we're talking about the Nets. That being said, what we saw last year against the Bucks, the eventual champion – the Nets being able to go toe-to-toe with them, almost beat them without their three on the floor at the same time, that is absolutely frightening. And that's still in the forefront of my mind. So I still think that they can put this together to beat the Celtics. And then they're, they're talking about Ben Simmons potentially targeting a game four, five, or six return. Like, does that A, matter, and B, like, what, what exactly are the chances of something like that even happening? I mean, that would be one of the most insane playoff storylines I can ever remember happening. A guy who 
basically the last time we saw him in the playoffs was completely in his own head to the point that it led to him effectively not playing one game the entire next season. And then to come back in the middle of a playoff series as his first professional basketball since then, a year later, it would be an insane storyline. That's why I don't see it actually happening. I think maybe the story is getting out there to make it seem like he's trying to play and so he's not trying to miss everything. I just can't imagine this guy coming in in that situation. Now, if he did come in, he would help them because I think they're a defender short. And and this is why I don't really believe in them as a team that can go very far in the playoffs, though I, I would be... I would hate to play them in one round. So I think they could help them as a defender. But, man, just incorporating him, another non-shooter, into a system which, you know, desperately needs guys with some kind of continuity with them. You know, Kyrie and, and Cage are going to do their thing, but, you know, figuring how to play with Ben Simmons takes reps. So I, I just don't see that working out easily for anyone. But we'll see what happens with that. But I do want to touch on your points about KD and Kyrie. Look, these guys... Are, are terrifying, right? I mean, Kyrie's a proven playoff performer, you know, especially those two years, 16 and 17 with the Cavs, where he was spectacular. And then, you know, Kevin Durant may be the best player in the world, depending on how you rank him versus Giannis. I just think that the burden on Kevin Durant, especially on the defensive end, is just too much. You can't ask a guy to score 40, guard the other team's best player, if they're any kind of a perimeter guy with size, any guy that's too tall for like Bruce Brown, it's KDU has to check him, but also be the team's best and maybe only true rim protector. It's asking too much to do that for four rounds. Now, can yeah. you do it for one round? Absolutely. That's why they're terrifying, you know, but like four rounds of that? I don't know, man. It's asking too much. Yeah, I think I think if you were able to throw Ben Simmons as a primary defender on Tatum and have Kevin Durant hover, I think that's a more reasonable ask than what he's going to be asked to do now with Simmons out. I think the other thing we're not really factoring in is how hurt Seth Curry is as well. I mean, like this guy, Bro, he looked hobbled. He, like, he looked hobbled. He couldn't get a he couldn't get a shot off. And I don't know if it's the way they're using him, just having him hang out in the corner, or if if there's something really uh, nagging him where he can't move around and create the way that he normally is able to. I mean, in Philly, he was doing all these triple handoffs, kind of like pick and pop things with with Embiid, and I think you would be able to have that similar translation if you were able to do that with Kevin Durant. And it would be a nightmare because both people can can shoot from anywhere on the court. That being said, we haven't seen it. So now not only does the defensive burden fall on Durant, but now the offensive burden also falls on Durant and Irving. And I think I think ultimately, like we said, like we all want to pick the Nets and we all want to see every team play at their highest potential. And I think there might be no team in the NBA with a higher potential than the Nets. But I don't think logically we keep coming back to the same things like they, they have too much stick against stacked against them and i don't think that this is the year that they're going to be able to put this all together so i think that being said i think we have a very fair price on the celtics especially if we get a little bit of action from rob williams i think that will go a long way and i think the celtics might be one of the scariest teams in the eastern conference so so for us to get them at nearly one-to-one odds with home court i think that's a chance that we should we should kind of capitalize I agree. I think the, the, the smart bet here is on the Celtics. And I think as this line is close, I could see more money from like sort of the casuals going more and more to the Nets because they've just seen them play. They know how good Kevin Durant is. They know how good Kyrie Irving is. The Celtics have been this really dominant team, but it's almost been like quietly dominant. They haven't gotten the, nearly the press coverage they should. I think long term, looking beyond this series, the return of Rob Williams or Time Lord 
is probably the most significant thing to look forward to in the playoffs. Because if he can come back and be himself, this Celtics team can win the championship this season. I, I think they can maybe squeak by like the Nets or, or a team like that of that caliber without Robert Williams. But when they get to a team like the Bucks, they're going to need the weak side defense and also just the lob threat and the, the, the verticality that Rob Williams provides them. So the report saying that he might come back this series is a good sign for Celtics fans. Yeah. So I think, I think that's, that should be our pick. And I think we'll lock in with the Celtics there. Also oh, real quick. I just wanted to say one more thing. You know, that Nets Cavs playoff playing game, the Cavs got any shot they wanted. Yeah, this they is a this is a point. They got I, I couldn't agree more. It was wide open shots after yeah, wide yeah. open shot, right? It was just guys that weren't ready for the moment or even capable of making those shots. You give those same shots to better shooters. You give them to Jalen Brown. You give them to you know Jason Tatum. You give them to these guys that have proven playoff experience. It could be a completely different story. Yeah. Okay. So then what about the Bucks versus the Bulls? To me, this is the least exciting of all eight matchups. I just, I, I see a Bulls team that's reeling, that hasn't been the same ever since Alex Caruso first went down after that nasty play by Grayson Allen. And, well, what do you know? It's the, These teams are facing each other, so we might have a little bit of a, a redux potentially between them. Uh, but I, I just don't see the, this Bulls team, they're sliding the wrong way. I think they're the least exciting team in the playoffs in terms of well, I, I shouldn't say that. I think they would have been interesting potentially if they weren't facing the Bucks. The Bucks are just head and shoulders better than them, and, and the odds show that the Bucks are minus one thousand favorites uh, to win this series. How do you see this, Raul? Yeah, I think Bucks four zero four one. Let's save our breath. We'll talk about the Bucks in the next segment. <laughs> All right, like I like that. Uh, poor Bulls fans. Hey, man, you had a good season. Yeah, if Caruso young. was playing, if Lonzo was playing. They would be able to shore up their perimeter D. They would have a little bit better shot. DeRozan can create his own shot in a playoff scenario. So, like, if their defense wasn't as soft as it was going to be now, because, like, let's be real, they don't have a big man defensive, like, presence. So they really were reliant on perimeter D, and now they've lost that as well. I don't think you can survive in the NBA without either of those two things. And then, you know, it's easy to point at this, but what was their record against the top three, four teams in each conference? I think it was atrocious. They didn't have a single win, I don't think, all year, actually. So yep. so I think, you know, Bulls, if Patrick Williams develops, if they can shore up, maybe get a big man that can play a little bit, like 15 minutes of defense behind Vucevic, and they get their perimeter defensive guys back, I think they'll be here next year, and I think they might be a little bit even more serious to take next year. I don't think they're just there yet. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. So then let's talk about the next series. The 76ers at minus 180 versus the Raptors at plus 150. So pretty, pretty even odds here on what's a fascinating series for a number of reasons. So this is these are two teams that have some history. You have the 76ers, you know, famously losing to the Raptors in 2019 on that ridiculous multiple bounce three-pointer that Kawhi Leonard took. Maybe the luckiest shot that ever went in, in NBA history, maybe rivaling Alan Houston's bouncing in shot <laughs> for our, for from classic Knicks lore, which I know Rahul that you're familiar with. Yeah, that, that was the best shot in the history of basketball, as far as I'm <laughs> but yeah, this Kawhi that Kawhi shot, I had money on that. That was great. That was great for me on the Raptors. Yeah, I have, I had money on the Raptors that year. Nice. So you know, that was that's that's amazing. But yeah, so th- these teams they have some history. I th- there's a lot of ways to look at this. We'll start with one of the 
the storyline that's developed is that Matisse Thybul, by virtue of not being vaccinated fully, cannot play in Toronto in any of the games that are being held there, which means that he's out for, you know, games three, four, and six in this series. That could be a factor here. The other thing is the Sixers and the Raptors play very differently. The Sixers use pick and rolls quite a bit. They're a team that has become a very offensive team in their identity. Meanwhile, on the other hand, the Raptors are extremely switchable. They're a team that doesn't really have a true big man like the Sixers do, but they kind of just use schematics and, and, and swarm tactics to kind of get the ball out of big men's hands. It's going to be a, a series that I think will test Joel Embiid's improvement as a passer. He, he has shown strides in that way. But, the, you know, Nick Nurse is one of the best tacticians in the NBA. He will throw everything out of the kitchen sink against them. Uh, you know, it's really like a styles make fights kind of thing. And these are two very different teams. So how do you say it playing out? I think this is the best matchup the 76ers could have asked for. And I don't best say that Best for the because, Sixers, you're saying. Yeah, and I don't think that's – I don't think – I'm not saying that because I think that this will be a cakewalk for the Sixers. I think this is the type of team that will teach the Sixers how to play together and kind of make their offense and the way Harden and B play together a little bit more efficient. So all the sloppiness, all the turnovers, all like the low effort, low intensity Harden moments are going to be bad in the first like game or so, I feel. I think you're going to watch this first two games. I think the Raptors might be able to sneak one of them on the road in Philly. I think we'll see the ugliest version of the Sixers basketball get exposed by the feistiness of the Raptors. But I think that the Sixers, over the course of the series, will tighten things up, will learn how to play better, and kind of realize like their intensity needs to be picked up to really make a run. And I think that they they will ultimately come out of this. I just I think it's going to be a dogfight first. That's a really interesting point, because if you think about it, I think the Raptors as a team probably don't have quite the offensive firepower or quite the the players to take advantage of switches against the many weak defenders that the Sixers now employ, including Maxi and Harden and, and, and guys like Korkmaz if they're making the rotation. But on the other hand, they will test them offensively. So it's almost like they get this little bit of a trial run against a team that will be one of the most scheme-versatile defensive teams they'll face without any real threat of them losing because they can't contain the other team's star player that keeps picking on Harden over and over again, like maybe Durant would or Kyrie would or Giannis yeah. would or or Tatum would or somebody like that. So that's my point. I think I think the Raptors are going to be a challenge for the 76ers. I'm not saying that they won't. I think that they're going to get a ton of extra possessions than the 76ers will by just by sheer like intensity, hustling to the ball, forcing turnovers, transition, out transition all that yeah. stuff. I think that that will be too much for Philly. And I think the Philly might lose like a game at home or something like that. But as soon as they start to like tighten up the ship and making sure like they don't have all these extra leaks and they're playing with higher intensity, I don't think like once Philly's playing their best ball that the Raptors can match it because they don't have, like you said, the guy that can go after Harden and Maxi and create better shots every possession. I think when the Sixers are going to be playing the game slower, and I think they will slow it down to keep the Raptors from getting into like their sets quicker and keep them out of transition. I think at that point, the Raptors' efficiency goes down. The Sixers' efficiency in the half court, they have Joel Embiid, they have Harden. They'll be fine. And I think they'll eventually like scratch through. But I think it's going to be ugly initially. So for me, the way I'm approaching the series is I want to wait and see. I want to watch and see. I want to see 
when the Raptors steal a game in Philly, if I can get Philly closer to one to one, and then that's when I would kind of kind of come back the other way and and take Philly. Nice, I like that strategy right there because I I agree with that. I see this being a series that's sort of shaky for the Sixers early on, but their talent will win out. So that's kind of a good way to approach how to bet it. So we think the Sixers will probably win here. I would say maybe in five or six. That then brings us to our. I'm thinking seven. I'm thinking seven. Oh, you think seven? Oh, so you think that you think this will actually go longer? I think there's going to be real like Philly's going to be down two one in the series or something like that. Interesting. I mean, that would be great for from a basketball perspective, just to watch a good series like that go back and forth. I I, I still think that just the top end talent of the Sixers will be too much for the Raptors. So I I wouldn't be surprised to see it being even shorter. But I, I can see there being moments where in all of the games, even potentially in wins, where it's tight. So yeah. whether it's five, six, or seven, I, I think it'll be a tight series. Now let's move on then, Rahul, to our overall conference pictures, right? So we have you have looked up odds as of today, which is April fifteenth, for both conferences. So can you walk me through the odds for the Eastern Conference finalists? Who's going to win the East specifically? Yeah. So just going uh, top down, I don't have all all the nine teams listed. I just picked out the ones that well, the relevant teams. Let's say. That, that I think have legitimate chances. So the Bucks um, are favored. They're plus 225. Uh, Nets at plus 350. Celtics at plus 400. Heat at plus 400. 76ers at plus 600. And then the Hawks at pretty much 80 to 1, plus 8,000. So I actually think that this is a very difficult field to kind of pick from. I think we have talked you know, at length about every team except for Milwaukee, which we can do now, um, about their strengths and weaknesses. And I think when you compare them to each other, I think there's a lot of a lot of overlap and there's a lot of same they're all in the same level in my opinion. Yeah, I think the brackets could have some impact here too, because there's no question the Heat, Sixers, they are in the side of the bracket where they're going to face one of the other three dangerous teams where the the teams with the three best odds, I guess Celtics and Heat have the same odds, but tied for third with the same odds, but the Bucks and Nets, the Celtics are all in the exact same bracket. So before the conference finals, they're going to face each other. Only one of those three teams is going to make it that far. So that makes it a little bit risky to bet on any three of them, unless you think, as I do, that the Bucks are just going to win the East. Because yeah. I, I don't really see a team that's capable of stopping Giannis in a given series. I think he is the ultimate matchup buster. You're right. We haven't talked that much about the Bucs yet, but part of that's because they, to me, they're just so obviously the best team. And I think they have the best overall player in the NBA right now. I, I, or at least it's it's neck and neck with Kevin Durant. But I think when you, when you factor what he can do on the defensive end and how physically dominant he can be, how he can impose his will on games, I think this Bucks team is really a problem because either you have a team that doesn't have the bigs to stop him or you have a team that's like just too slow to, to really can to stop the kind of things that they can do as a team. So they just prevent nightmares for everybody else in this conference. Yeah. They, they have a lot of team versatility. They go big, put Brooke in the middle. Brooke can even space it. They have Giannis. They have Middleton. They have Drew. They're all, they have size everywhere. Then they can go small. They can put Giannis at the five, Midi at the four and kind of do that as well. They can get, good shots at the end of the game. They have mid-range specialists. They have Drew that can create. They have Giannis that's an absolute nightmare in transition and now is hitting mid-range shots at a pretty decent clip. 
I think he can get to the line at any point of the game as well. And obviously, defensively, they're very good when they are trying and they're playing the way that they need to be And playing. when they're whole, Raul. Yeah, there's, when there's whole, a lot of, when Brook is anchoring. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about you know Milwaukee's fall off defensively. Yeah. But that's been almost entirely without Brook Lopez, who is very important. And as good as Giannis is, you know, he's at his best as sort of a weak side defender, not as the main guy standing in there, you know, patrolling the paint. And we should add that Bud has improved a lot as a coach, right? They're not using just drop coverage anymore. They're not just, you know, playing these old-fashioned lineups. They're finding ways to, you know, put Giannis at the five. They're using Portis in creative ways. They're they're switching at times when it's, when it's appropriate. So they have a lot of versatility, and they have a big three, all of whom can play defense and offense. And yeah. in Drew Holiday, I, they have maybe the best guard defender in the NBA. So yeah, he's gonna they're give always going to have a high floor. Exactly. Sorry, so I, you know, I actually think that part of the reason why some of the regular season dominance wasn't seen this year was because of the A, injuries, but also B, because of experimentation and trying to play different ways and kind of seeing how they can kind of adapt in case a certain series went one way or another way. So I do think that there has been maybe like less of, a, of an importance placed on the regular season by the Bucks, and more of an importance placed on versatility, flexibility, and playing different ways. So I do think that they might peak a little higher in the playoffs than they did in the regular season. But that's all theoretical in my head. So that being said, I think we should just kind of work through these brackets. So one versus eight, we had the Heat come out. Four versus five, we had the Sixers come out. So now we got Heat Sixers. I think that in in my head, oh, that series with the Raptors is really going to help them because the Heat would have destroyed them otherwise. I think yep. that the Sixers have Joel Embiid, who's the best player in the series, and the Heat don't have anywhere near the size that they need to kind of take care of that. Matisse Thibel will be able to play in this series. I think that the Sixers <laughs> probably can make it to the Easter Conference Finals. I would actually pick them as an underdog upset over the Heat. Yeah, I, I could see that happening. With the Heat, I worry a little bit because I, I could see the Heat, unlike the Raptors, they do have a guy like Jimmy who could attack a weak defender over and over again to some degree. Now, he's his shot has completely fallen off this year. He is not really been the same player at all from an efficiency standpoint. I think Steibel would erase erase a lot of what Jimmy will do. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not... It's not about who guards him initially. It's about how they're going to force a switch unless they're going to try to trap him or something, right? Like they're just yeah. going to run a pick and roll with his man and whoever Attack Harden's Harden, guarding. Yeah. No. yeah, I mean, I, I think Tyler Hero could do that to some degree, but, you know, Lowry could do that. But yeah, but they don't really have a truly great isolation player that can really take advantage the way that the elite guys can do in the NBA. So I wouldn't be surprised if Sixers going past them. The difference, of course, here between the Raptors and the Heat is, is that the Sixers have to show up, show up a little bit more defensively because the Heat are capable, as much as we talked about before, about how they do run these weird lineups with you know, multiple non-shooters. They can go very offensive as well, and then they can put up points in, in bunches with lots of shooting out there. So it'll be a challenge for the Sixers on that end. But I, you're not wrong that I, I could totally see the Sixers winning that series and getting to a conference finals. I think we'd at least agree that it's a feasible accomplishment, right? No, it's feasible. I, I could. I, I don't know how I would pick that. I, I kind of want to see how both teams play right. in the next round to really have a sense of that. But you know, I, one of those two teams will make it, I think. And so then let's talk about the other side of the bracket. So we we, we picked. Do we really Bucks. pick between the Celtics? We we both yeah. think the Celtics will probably win that. Yeah. So I, th- I think Celtics, Celtics Bucks. Bucks. Yeah. 
man, to me, it's, again, it comes down to Robert Williams being back. If he's back and healthy, the Celtics have a, a real puncher's chance here. If he's not, I think the Bucs going to win this pretty easily. But not easily, but easily enough. Yeah, I'm going Bucks. I, I think the Celtics are fun and they're nice and they're good. And I think the Bucs will turn it up and they're better than the Celtics. Even with, with Robert Williams, you're saying? Even with Robert Williams. I think... Just top-end talents, we're saying, like, Giannis Bucks, is far better. The Bucs have the versatility to go small or go big. And, you know, Rob Williams gets to fly around. But if if you're going small and you have Bobby Portis playing out there and Giannis, I, I, I honestly think there's a lot of ways that the that the Milwaukee Bucks can potentially even attack the Celtics. And I know that they have a great, great defense, but Milwaukee's offense doesn't really come from a primary guard offensive player. So, you know, Marcus Smart's impact will be a little bit more limited than usual. And then I think like in terms of the shooting, the Bucks definitely have the shooting to kind of make the Celtics play. So I, I, I do like the Bucks there. So then we're basically looking at if we, I, I'm not, Sixers I'm not Bucks. so confident. I, I mean, yeah, I feel you. I'm not even confident. I can, <laughs> I can see heat Celtics happening just as likely. I mean, I don't know. I, 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 it's just hard to look that far ahead without knowing how Rob Williams is going to look like without knowing, you know, some of these other X factors like that, yeah. but let's just say that that is what it is. So now we're talking about Buck Sixers. To me, Buck Sixers, I would pick the Bucks easily. Yeah, I pick the Bucks so, as well. So, so I, spoiler, I mean, that's we'll why I think the, the, the value here is still betting on the Bucks, which is at plus two twenty-five. Which I know they're the favorites, but yeah. you know they they're the favorites for a reason as well. They're yeah, the betting champions. So we could do this one of two ways, right? Like you can take the Bucks and the Celtics, right, and you put like. $100 on each and pretty much get either you bet 100 and 100, right? So you'd get back 400 if the Celtics won or you'd get back 325 if the Bucks won. So you could look at a proposition that way where you take two teams and you kind of hedge your bets that way or we take Bucks and we take Sixers or Sixers at plus 600 because we see an easier path for them to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yep. No, that's that's good advice. If you had so, to pick one team that's outside of the Bucks, that you're like, all right, I'm just gonna put money on somebody, would it be the Sixers then, just because of their path? Yeah, I guess so. God damn it, <laughs> I really don't want to bet on the Sixers. It probably, yeah, it would probably be, it would probably be the Celtics or the Sixers. Yeah, the Celtics just have such a harder path. It's like yeah. even from round one, they're in a dog exactly. With the Nets. So, so Sixers plus six hundred is gonna be what we'll give out, I guess. So then let's move on to the Western Conference. What are your thoughts there? Because it's a, it's a conference where, unlike the East, it seems like everybody thinks the Suns are just going to win that because they've been ahead by far yeah. this whole year. And the Warriors there's were kind of there. They fell apart, you know? Yeah, there's three tiers to this. So, actually, this Clippers-Pelicans odds are probably different now that PG3 has has been um, announced out of that play-in game. Um, so, Suns plus 110, Warriors plus 390, Grizz plus 475, Jazz plus 800, Nuggets plus fourteen hundred, and we'll just stop. Well, I guess we'll just stop it there. It seems pretty clear that oddsmakers think the Suns versus the field is almost like a fair bet. Um, yeah, uh, it's nearly and, even. And, and <laughs> I don't, I don't really see that to be wrong. I mean, they have. I don't either. Sixty-four wins. They play uber uber clutch. They have shot creation at three levels. They have a big. They have wings. They have a point guard. They have. A two, you know, like they literally defense. They have the team that can do it from everywhere, and this year they have more depth than they did last year. 
which was their main thing that was lacking against the Bucks in that series. You got to remember, they had a 2-0 lead at one point in that series. And honestly, the injuries, while pathetic, you know, to Saric and things like that, while they weren't even good players, they, they definitely were better than the replacement players that they had to put in afterwards. So now with a little more depth, I think that the Suns should be the NBA favorite for the championship. And I think their odds are justified. I completely agree with you on the Suns. I'm going to throw out a random bet here, which I think isn't a terrible value, though you might laugh at it. I kind of like the Jazz at plus 800, especially if we think that Luka is not going to be healthy for the first part of that series. So now they're past round one, most likely. Yes, they got Suns in round two. There is just a world in which the Jazz, one year, just do live up to their potential. They have talent on their roster. They have continuity. They have extreme offensive firepower. They could get hot for four games and win a series. And like if they beat the Suns after that, they could be anybody else. You know, so I'm not I'm not saying I would comf- confidently bet that, but it's not like an impossibly stupid bet either. Or maybe it is. I don't know what do you think. <laughs> yeah, I'm not touching the jazz. Yeah, you don't you just don't trust them? No, I don't trust them. I think I think I would rather so if we're talking about long shot odds, I think I, I could talk myself into the Nuggets. And then if you're talking about a little bit less, I, obviously Warriors is the counterpoint to the Suns. If they're all healthy, that then then they they jump up to that level as well. But I'm just going to talk about the Nuggets a little bit. So the main the main thing is that they're going to have to get past the Warriors in that first round, and then potentially they can get Murray back. Once they get Murray back, now you're looking at them playing the Grizzlies or the Wolves. I think they could take them. And then if you have a series under your belt with Jamal Murray. Jokic, Aaron Gordon, that whole squad. Uh, I think that's a lot of offensive firepower and efficiency to throw at the Suns, and I think that would be a fun series as well. So, you know, if we're talking about long shot odds, you can go Nuggets. I'm just going to be square, though. A lot of ifs there, Rahul. A lot of ifs. Yeah, you know, if I Mar- think back, if Mar is healthy, yeah. if they get past the Warriors first before that happens, if yeah. they look good. I just, it just, like, well, that just uh, that's a lot. To that point. You know, the Suns, are, what the, the Suns are dominant. Yeah, the Suns yeah. are the best pick in this in this in this conference, and I don't think it's I think close. there's no there's no question, right? Like if I, if my if my life wasn't a lie, or someone was like, you need to bet on everything you own on something, I'll just bet on the Suns here easily. Yeah. I, I think that the Jazz, I like the Jazz more than some of these other teams because at least they're like a whole team. We're not we're not waiting for someone to like magically reemerge from injury, healthy, and we know what these guys are now. They, what they are is has not been that impressive in in previous years, to be fair, but. We know that they're the best offense in the NBA. And whenever you're the best at anything, it's not crazy thing that you could win four, four series. Or like four four games, I should say. But they're going to have to play series, the Suns. That's their round yeah, two. Yeah, but, so, but so they're playing the Suns. I'm, I'm, gonna like, I'm just going to walk you through the scenario. Listen, I would pick the Suns 10 times out of 10 to win the series. But the way that I could see the Jazz winning is like they play four games where they just hit, get red hot from three. They have tons of shooting. That's where they're number one offense, right? They just drill, they take a ton and make a ton of threes. They just do that for four games. You know, the three-point shot's a huge variable factor in, in, the, in the modern NBA. They do it for four games. If they just do that just against the Suns, they're capable of being any other team with a normal performance. They seem to shoot a little bit better than maybe their expected averages against this one team. And if you, if you do that, this is a team that I, I would pick them against anybody else. Like, I'm not saying I would pick them, but they have a shot against anybody else. So... That's why I think the Jazz plus eight hundred is like a decent alternative bet if you're if you're you don't want to just be boring and pick the Suns. But listen, man, I agree with you. The Suns are are the 
heavy favorites in the West. All right, so let's let's wrap this up. I think I think we have our picks pretty much. If you had to call your NBA Finals right now, I would call it a rematch of Bucks Suns or Celtics Suns. Maybe, what would you say? I think those are the only two options that you can really see, barring injuries or just massive collapse by like the Suns against the Jazz, <laughs> which is not gonna happen. But I'm hoping it will. Actually, I don't know if I hope it will because I want Donovan Mitchell on the Knicks, so I shouldn't want that to happen. But you know, I agree with this. The most likely scenario is Suns Bucks. And I think the Celtics are have been good enough for long enough of a time here in this season that we have to put them as a reasonable contender as well. So to me, those three teams stand apart as any from anyone else in the NBA. Teams like the Nets, teams like the Heat, they're all capable of beating a team for one round. I just don't think they have enough to win four rounds or yeah. even three rounds to get to a finals. All right. So let me let me throw these two random prop bets at you. Okay. So oh, some fun prop one. bets. I love it. First one, let's go. First one's not the fun one. The first one is a simple one. So the, right now, the there's even odds to bet on a championship coming from the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. So what do you think is the better value? On one hand, you'll get the Suns, who's probably the best team in basketball. On the other side, you probably get the next three best teams, perhaps. But, but all that matters is it's, it's it's the Suns or whoever we think is in the West was the Suns versus the other team. So, hmm. Like if the Suns and Bucks played, the Suns would be a favorite, but not, but not by much, right? We're talking about like minus. I don't even know if they'd be the favorite. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I'd buy the, they'd be the favorites against the Bucks. I hundred percent think they would be. You think so? Because at that point, the Bucks would have already beaten the Celtics and probably the Sixers or the Heat. Yeah, no, I think I think they would be the favorite. Huh? I mean, they would have home court. We know that. Yeah. I I think that I think it being even odds is is fair to me. I I, I I'm not sure how I would pick that. Okay. Try to look now. Okay. Um, so let's let's keep it going then. And then I have another one. DraftKings right now has a weird bet that says you could take the field versus any team from New York, California, Florida, or Texas. So just to put that into a little <laughs> bit of perspective, New York, Cali, Florida, Texas would be Nets, Warriors, Clippers, Heat, and Mavs. On the field side, you would have the Suns, Bucks. Celtics, Grizzlies, Jazz, Hawks, and Pelicans. Bro, I'm taking the field every day. In yeah, that, but it's minus 250, Sunday. so it's 250 to win 100. You think that's worth yeah, it? That's fine. I think yeah, it's I think so fine. They, to me, I they have the three best. It. Yeah, they have the three best contenders plus my stealth contender, the Jazz. Oh my god, <laughs> I'm going to continue to hawk on. <laughs> yeah, when the Jazz get beat tonight with a Doncic less Mavs team, I'm just shoot your attacks, all right? <laughs> <laughs> all right a couple other just quick fun prop bets you know series points leaders so in the 76ers Ooh. raptors series any any point to playing anyone other than Embiid? Embiid is a minus 1200 favorite harden is plus 1000 siakam's plus 700 well i don't i don't believe in playoff harden so i'm definitely not putting money on him siakam i mean he, he's had a, a bit of a bounce back season from his last year's extremely disappointing one but it's got to be like a beast. The man led the NBA in scoring, right? Yeah. He's like the scoring champ for a reason. Yeah. All right. So then uh, in the Nets Celtics series, you have Durant minus 130, Tatum plus 160, and Irving plus 350. Any any value there? Wow. That's a little bit more interesting. I I mean, obviously, Durant is an all world scorer, all time scorer. In my opinion, the most gifted scorer and just versatile, just best scorer since Michael Jordan, I think, overall. But. I could see him and Irving kind of splitting shots, whereas on Boston, like Tatum is option one every single time. So 
I think the output I'd go for plus six one sixty on on Tatum there with those odds. Yeah, I like kind of like the plus one sixty on Tatum. I even like the plus three fifty on Irving. I think Irving, you know, he's like his role is clear. Go get Gus a bucket, right? Durant has to do yeah. so much more on the defensive end. He has to be the guy that's running the offense through him and stuff like that. And I think that Irving is just going to have free reign to do whatever he wants. And I think there might be one or two 50-point games from Kyrie Irving this this series. So I think that there's some value at Irving plus 350 there as well. My thing with Irving is I have no faith in him lasting seven games without getting injured. I've wow. seen this guy time and again. He's fast. He'll pick up some random he's, Knicks. He's a new guy. He's got... I know he's got his new new spiritual connections. Game. He's not gonna yeah. he's not gonna fall, yo. Yeah, he's immune from injury. We'll see. <laughs> All right, and then the last one we got is uh, Giannis minus three thirty, DeRozan plus three thirty, and Levine plus seven hundred. I gotta be honest. I, mean, I kind of love the DeRozan prop here. Come on, bro. Yo, this guy is a guy that had a thirty-five points per game average for how many days in a row? You really well, think like? This series is going to be competitive. I think they're going to wind up sitting Giannis every fourth quarter. <laughs> oh, interesting. That, that, that could play a role if, if he just gets a 25 points and he doesn't play a minute in the fourth. The, you know, DeRozan historically has been a terrible playoff player. Now, he's a different basketball player overall, but we haven't seen him tested in the playoff gauntlet just yet. So I would not feel comfortable putting up money on him, especially with Levine still on the roster. Like, Levine is also capable of scoring a ton of points. So... I would, if I had a bet here, I would bet for Giannis. But you good point about him being rested a bit potentially. All right, then that will wrap up our playoff preview betting podcast. Rahul, thanks for all your advice. Thanks for making our listeners degenerate gamblers like yourself and, and sorry, helping them sorry out. For losing people money, <laughs> but I enjoyed. I <laughs> yeah, enjoyed yeah disclaimer: <laughs> this is all just advice. You know, you know, you take it or leave it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to a really competitive and fun uh, playoffs this year. Yeah? What, what's your favorite series you're, you're going to say? If you pick one that you're just like, I'm so hyped for this right now. The, Net Celtics. There, there's no question. Net Celtics. I yeah, agree. The no storylines, the booing of Kyrie Irving in Boston yeah. Garden, it's going to be amazing. So we will catch up soon. For all you out there, enjoy the play-in games, enjoy the playoffs, and good luck to your teams, and good luck on your bets. Peace out, guys. All right. Take care.